I'm Brian Wayne. This is episode 40 of the Cheers to Comics podcast. This week, I'll be going over all of the books, or a good portion of the books, that were released on the 17th of July, 2019, as well as talking about other things that are relevant to the world of comics. In this particular instance, I will not in this episode, now that I think about it, because it is Comic-Con weekend, and it deserves a show of its own, so you'll get extra content this weekend. Uh, anyways, carrying on, full disclosure, this is a spoiler-based podcast, so, uh, yeah, be prepared for all that. And I do curse a lot, so sensitive ears need not hear. So, ah, skipping the news, let's just get right the hell into it. There were plenty of books to be excited about this week, very few of them I read and threw into... The not talk about pile, so that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So we're gonna start out with Image Comics, Assassination Number Five. I am bummed that this series is over. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah, but it's over. Uh, it was a sweet mini series that Kyle Starks and Erica Henderson did, covered by Erica Henderson. So what's going on here is, in the, the last issue, issue 4, we realized that old Rankin had actually been setting up these assassins the whole time. And there's suspicions that old Chad Fingerman's involved in it too. And guess what? He is. So the remaining assassins, and these assassins being, of course, Fuck Tarkington, and Dave, and Smoke, they're all, yeah, there they go. After Rankin... Um, Dave and Fuck Tarkington are paired together and Smoke's on her own. As Smoke makes her way towards Rankin, uh, Chad Fingerman gets involved and involved, and he's just fucking her up, and it actually looks to be the end of old Smoke. And not really a character that we really have grown attached to. So, yeah, there, there's been this whole, and when the series started, I think there was, what, uh, 20? 20 assassins in there. And then after the first issue, don't get me wrong, I think they took out over half of them. And then they've just been picking them off here and there. And yeah, um, you know, Fingerman's about to take out Smoke. Over to fucking Dave. God, that's, it's so cool. <laughs> There's this this new big badass motherfucker involved. And we know fuck Tarkington. He has not sh like shed a droplet of sweat throughout this entire series. He handles his shit. Um, well, he's getting handled <laughs> big time by this, this big feller, and he's just fucking him up, and he's really just trying to prevent him from getting to Dave. Oh, isn't that sweet? It's so sweet. I like how the, ah, we really need a goddamn spinoff issue, fucking Dave, that's, but they can't call it fucking Dave. Hmm, Dave and Tark? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, well... Explosion, boom, fucking Dave. They look like they be gone. But wait, there's more. There's also Bishop. Now, he's never been a ranked assassin because technically he's retired. But his motivation behind this whole thing is to try to figure out who killed his husband. And yeah, well, he makes his way into Rankin's quarters because, well, uh, frankly, all of his bodyguards are busy. Um, or were. <laughs> and, uh,. Yeah, he makes his way in there, and there's a confrontation, and it's a, yeah, um, he kind of, Rankin kind of spills the beans, and as he's spilling the beans, the, the, the big dude that just took out fucking Dave walks in, and, um, just right on cue, Rankin blows the back of his fucking head out, because, yeah, as it turns out, the whole motivation was he just wanted to be the number one ranked assassin again, and the only way he could realistically do that is to take out every other assassin. Huh. Well, there's even more of a twist that draws this plot even closer to Bishop, and that's the fact that it was Rankin that killed Bishop. But wait, er, killed Bishop's husband. But wait, there's more. Bishop's husband was not the target. He was actually trying to kill Bishop. Well, Rankin, uh, even though he's a piece of fucking shit, he's still 
manages to, to corner Bishop and yeah, not looking good, huh? Uh, <laughs> well, just as it's about time for Bishop to, to meet his end, smoke bursts through the door and we get this cool piece of dialogue saying, hey, does it take away from your revenge if I pull the trigger on this motherfucker? And Bishop's like, nah, nah, I just want to see his brains all over the place. And then boom, smoke takes out Rankin. And just like that, on account of uh, uh, assassin science, she is now the number one ranked assassin of the world, Craig. Uh, Bishop lives, and guess what? So does fucking Dave. They manage to make it out of the explosion, because that's how comic books fucking work. Ah, dude, I dig this so much. Well, guess what? That's not the end. There's a cool twist at the end. As Bishop's in the hospital, laying in the bed, uh, at his doorway stands about 20 more assassins. Because, of course, that couldn't have been all of the assassins. Uh, because, you know, I mean, they just showed the top 20. What about the top 21 through 10,605? There's a forever-ending possibility of a uh, miniseries from Assassination, and I am so happy and excited for that, because we're definitely getting more. We might have to wait a little while while they, you know, write it and all that, but, ugh, I dig it. Good job, Kyle Starks and Erica Henderson. Next up on the list from Image Comics is Sonata number 2, and dudes of all flavors, this is, oh man, Sonata's great. It is, uh, uh, who's doing Sonata? David Hine, Brian, Brian Haberlein, and Gerard Van Dyke, covered by Brian Haberlein. So, we're, we're meeting a new character in here. Well, he's not necessarily new. He, he was slightly introduced in the first one, but now we're, we're following him more. Uh, and he is a tie-in, which is the race that is uh, against whatever race that our Sonata is. I forgot what her race is. Uh, Arans. That's what it's called, Arans. Um, now, I will say one thing, and I'm sure just like with everything that's new, it just hurts because it's new. But I don't like the names that they chose to develop for these new uh, races of characters. Because they're just... Uh, I don't know. It's Tyan and Rans. Rans is a not a non-plural word. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. But that's, that's honestly my only gripe about this book. So uh, without really going page by page in this, what's going on here is... Uh, we've got two races that are against each other. The dam was blown in the last one on account of pre uh, trying to prevent a race war. Well, look what you done did. Uh, Powell is making his way through this crevasse, and that same crevasse is where Sonata ended up in the first issue with her friend uh, and his, what, what is his... Uh, Treen is his name, but he's this... Um, another uh, weird race that I, I can't I, I apparently forgot to remember <laughs> but um is a really cool character design uh, and you know there's nothing wrong with the name train you know that's cool uh, but yeah no so and this is a, a very world building book but I have a feeling that we're all gonna grow very attached to it very quickly because I mean image they strike gold quite often and Oh, fuck, dude. If uh, Beyond just the coolness of this story, which I'll get to more in just a second, but first I really got to gush about the art. Uh, and I know talking about art on a podcast isn't... Yeah. <laughs> but if anything, it's, it should be motivation for you to go out and actually hit up a store and pick up this book. Or if you don't have a store by you and you have to order online, um, you will not be disappointed with this art. It is next level shit. And that's the same thing I said about the first issue. It's fucking incredible. Uh, the character designs are awesome. Uh, the monster designs, even better. <laughs> oh, shit. So, back to the story, though. Essentially, what it comes down to is the biggest gist I get out of this is it's Romeo and Ju it's, it's It's a way, way cool, more modern, mythical version of a Romeo and Juliet type of situation. Now, there's not necessarily any love interest that's happened thus far, but I could I could feel it coming. You know, there's the there's a heroic moment. Um, I, but another one other big takeaway from this is while Sonata is down in these ruins, 
where she's really not supposed to be, she she finds this bracelet, and when she puts it on, she realizes that it could really just, uh, essentially, it's kind of like a Green Lantern ring. It really just does whatever she wants. And somehow, uh, she opens up this jump hole, and then, boom, it just opens up another world of possibilities for this book. She's a time jumper now. And that's where she runs into Pal, because he's following after her, and the jump hole's still open, and he makes his way through, and thank the goodnesses, because he's uh, the savior of the day. So, yeah, man. Dude, Sonata, once again. I'm repeating the name over and over, so you guys fucking remember it, because it's worth remembering. It really is, I promise. Moving along. Uh, more. Alright, now, so this is actually from... I believe this is from Vault, and I'm not totally sure about this, but yeah, uh, the story itself is called Resonant, and let me tell you a little bit about Resonant. It is done by David Andre, Alejandro Aragon, and Jason Wordy. Uh, <laughs> I like the name Wordy. It'd be, instead of a colorist, he should be a letter uh, writer, but, <laughs> you know. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, cover also done by Aragon and Wordy. So, essentially what's going on here is we're, we've got this father preparing his kids for a wave. And essentially, I immediately get the feeling, okay, we're in this apocalyptic situation. A wave could be anything. It could be zombies. It could be fucking uh, fog. Uh, who, who fucking knows? We've seen all the movies, right? We don't know. And they don't tell you what a wave is is yet in this book but um we've got three young kids here uh the eldest being beck and uh she's she's missing a leg but she's still fully fucking capable she is the definition of handy capable uh <laughs> she's in charge of her other kids one of the kids he's got to be strapped down when shit's going down they don't really explain what that is maybe he's fucking crazy maybe he's got a superpower that is un or completely untapped into yeah I don't know I don't know this is a is a super teasy issue for sure but it's teasy enough to where I'm in, definitely intrigued I'm gonna read at least two or three more issues um, I, I I would imagine that I just stay on this book it, it's awesome the 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 art is really really cool and it's also a quick read too it's a very quick read because there's not a lot of dialogue at all it's very visual and um, because it's visually appealing, you still get your money's worth out of it. I know a lot of people say, oh, if there's not enough words and it only takes me this long to read the book, is it really worth buying? Well, if you spend the time looking at the art and the artist telling the story, then absolutely. fucking -lutely. And that is exactly what's going on in this book a good portion of the time. And the dialogue that does occur is awesome. Uh, the, the father, while he's out doing some stuff out in the wilderness, um... They keep mentioning, there's a lot of little mentions going on here, but the biggest mention is they mention something called chirpers. And essentially what chirpers are are crickets. And crickets, these, they carry these crickets around in jars, and when they start going off, it's the warning of a wave. So this, uh, the father, he's out in the wilderness doing whatever he's doing. Not totally sure what he's supposed to be doing, but he's doing it. And he runs into this, uh, this straggler, and he looks... All types of hungry and famished, but also not very trustworthy either. Um, uh, but he also looks like if you punched him, he'd fall apart. So, yeah. But it really, what he's going on is he's, he says he's asking... Uh, this, they don't give a name to the father. Uh, they do give names to the kids. I, I, I'm trying to... I know Beck is the one, and then... I don't know, there's a couple of other ones, too. Uh, obviously, a Steph... And I don't remember what the little one is that uh, needs tied up, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, now this this straggler is, I, I guess, is uh, the the father for the crickets, and he says, "Well, it turns out, you know, I had to eat mine." <laughs> and then it kind of gets tense for a moment, and then the crickets start going off, and a wave comes in, and then bum bum bum. Uh, I mean, that's not exactly how it ends, but, I mean, because we get moments of the kids preparing and the base and everything, and they're showing the responsibilities and the, the procedures that they go through when the, the, the chirpers start going off, and, yeah. I, I very much enjoyed it. Uh, it was, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm staying on. Staying on. So, let's move on to DC now. 
DC Young Animal. Now, the last DC Young Animal book I read, not impressed. Because, for one, the Young Animal uh, tagline is very misleading. Uh, that was part of the reason I couldn't get through Doom Patrols, because I thought, oh, is this a kid's book? What the fuck is going on here? Well, immediately reading my first, my se- I mean, my second Young Animal book, Collapser, by Mikey Way, Sean Simon, and Ilias Kriazias? I might have got that. And Chris Peter. This is not a kid's book, because one of the first words that's on the page is fuck. So... Uh, uh, what's going on here is we got this guy, and he's just your average, normal, everyday guy. He's this aspiring DJ, and, yeah, he's, he's going through life. He wakes up to the knock on a door. He's super fucking paranoid, um, which I, I, I really like how that's all portrayed. Um, but, uh, uh, when he opens the door and realizes it's a delivery guy, uh, you also realize it's, like, a galaxy delivery so he's a space alien, but you can't really see that. The only way we see it is in our perspective, not his. Through his perspective the whole time that he's got a hat on, he's in the shadows and all that stuff. But he hands him a box, and he says, oh, this is from your mom. Uh, she died, sorry, dude. And the guy's like, oh, dude, I haven't known my mom since forever. I mean, ever. Never met her. I know of her. I know that, the, you know, yeah, I was too young to be there when she left. Or however she left, or whatever. So there's no attachment there. He's just off to work. Tra la la la. Well, he's off. He 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 goes off and completes some tasks. It's really just tasks showing that he's a regular everyday dude. But um, his big gig. He's got a big gig coming up, and he's got this girlfriend and this other friend. Well, while he's at the gig, uh, the power goes out, and he seems to he he doesn't handle it well because it's that was his shot during the middle of his set. And he tend he's he blames the his friends, his girlfriend and his friend. So yeah, well he gets home and he opens the door and boom, he gets sucked into this fucking black hole, man. And he goes into this weird space and then um, he ends up waking up three days later and he starts to see people that he's dead. I mean, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. I was really just trying to avoid saying he sees dead people. But yeah, he starts seeing dead people. <laughs> um, and that, you know, that's the first cue that, well, shit, I'd, I've been gone three days and now I'm seeing weird shit. What the fuck's going on here? And then he gets visited by, uh, um, uh, wow, well, what's going on? Uh, some, I don't know, there's like some freaks after him or something. I forget exactly what it is. But it's kind of revealed that he has the ability to open up black holes himself. So. I'm into it, man. Um, I did not think I was going to be into this. I just added issue one to my pull list. But now, it's going to be continuing on account of how good it is. And I like the fact that they did not bubblegum this book up at all. I mean, they're are plenty of swear words for you, yeah, types of people like me out there. <laughs> Moving along, more DC, Justice League number 28. James Henny in the fourth, Javier Fernandez, Daniel Sampier, Juan Albadon, and Hi-Fi, covered by Jim Chung and Tom Almaray. So, Martian Manhunter and Hot Girl are on their way to meet Lex, all on their lonesome. Um... When they get there, uh, essentially, uh, Lex tells Martian Manhunter, you have to put Hot Girl to sleep. This is the only meeting between you and I. When it's revealed what's actually going on, shit gets tense, and Lex decides to really just kill Martian Manhunter. He melts the shit out of him. He's, yeah. Because what's going on here is the big reveal is... Lex himself is also a Martian, or at least that's what I got out of this. Uh, I could very well be wrong, because James Tinian isn't the clearest with his words. He just, like I said, he, I'm not going to keep repeating myself when it comes to my stupid little critiques of Tinian's writing. But if there are any new listeners out there, there are new listeners out there, obviously. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, I have I have issues sometimes understanding the point he's getting to. This is another one of them examples, but it's uh, it was it was mostly a, a Martian man on a hot girl story, but it's also 
the Justice League with Forger and uh, uh, who's the other brother? Um, uh, ah, shit, I forget. But uh, yeah, they're they they're in Quard, which is the antimatter universe, and they're looking for the anti-monitor so they get all three of Perpetua's sons together with the Justice League, which little do they know without Martian Manhunter and Hot Girl now. I guess Hot Girl's still around. Uh, they didn't kill her, but let's face it, she fucked. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so that, all that I understood. There wasn't anything misconstrued about any of that. It was just the, I mean, so picture, uh, for instance, just to kind of get an idea of the the dilemma with Tinian writing uh, the character Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor is very, very, very fucking smart and an intellectual. So is James Tinian the Fourth. So I mean, you would think ideally, yeah, that's perfect, right? No, not necessarily, because it's turned into a fucking textbook almost. <laughs> you have to be taught what's going on here if you're not familiar with their writing style. At least that's how I feel personally. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm completely alone in this. Something tells me I'm not, though. So, shit. <laughs> Justice League was not bad by any means. It was just, it's a lot. I want Snyder back is what's what I really want to say. Oh, next up, Batman number seventy-five. Uh, Tom King, Antonio Daniel, Mitch Gerards, 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 and Tom Almoray. Covered by Daniel Almoray. All right, uh, Batman. The book, be back, bitches. Uh, we know the last issue, only one shall rise out of the pit. And, well, it doesn't take long to realize which Batman came out first. And that'd be Thomas Wayne. I honestly did not see that coming. I really did not see that coming. So, Thomas Wayne has had his way. Bruce is left out to die in the cold. I'll get to that in a second, because that is a big fucking deal how that gets handled. Uh, like I said, guys, Batman is fucking back. Get excited. These next ten issues finna be dope. City of Bane, motherfuckers. And I almost shouldn't, if you want... Uh, that, that, that's, this, and this is exactly what's going on, guys. This is Bane City now. Bane has got villains that want to cooperate. They are technically part of the Gotham City Police Department now. Joker's a motherfucking cop in this bitch. Uh, Mad Hatter is a motherfucking cop in this bitch. The Riddler. Uh, you get the point, guys. Uh, the, the, the villains that aren't cooperating, they did. They get sent to Bane... And they get a good old-fashioned talking to. The biggest one being Two-Face. And that's really what the main gist of the story is. is Thomas Wayne going around as Batman. He's being Batman in a world where if Batman lived the laws of Bane. I mean, he's not necessarily a vigilante as he is just a fucking... Well, I guess it's kind of... I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, it's... Whew. I don't know how to explain this. But it's it's great. It's it's not hard to understand reading it. It's just I'm at a loss for words because it's so fucking good. Um, yeah, it's, mm. and we do get the year of the mo villain moment in this, like we are with all of the other DC books. Get excited. Uh, and this is probably the coolest year of the villain moment so far between Luther meeting with any of the villains and that dialogue going on between he and Bane. Bane is pretty much telling Luther, I don't want any part of this. And I'm going to help you out because the Justice League now no longer has a Batman. The bat is broken. Ugh. Dude, that is... It's now playing into... Oh, so much, man. I really hope that that plays into the Justice League. I want to see how the Justice League fares without uh, a Batman. Because, I mean, we have reason to believe it would tie in because of this whole Year of the Villain tying all of DC together, especially with Lex Luthor uh, having his what's-in-the-box moment at the end of every friggin' uh, uh, DC book. So, uh, guys, once again, Batman is back. That... Uh, 
It's It's been way too long since I get to end DC talking about Batman on such a high note. Oh, and the art, incredible. Uh, Mitch Jared's little cameo page in there. <sighs> he is the only one allowed to draw Professor Pig from now on. That dude just knows how to bring the creepy and the violence and the gore while still not having to make it a black label book. He leaves so much to the imagination. There's a reason why Eisner's, that's a different, that's a different topic, guys. That's a different topic, a different podcast. Let's move on to Marvel, uh, Daredevil, number eight. Ah, Daredevil, whew, this one's been super fun. Um, essentially what's going on here is Daredevil, he's in this library, he's kind of macking on this chick a bit. Chick says, hey, why don't you come to my, we're having dinner upstairs, I live above the library. Why don't you come to dinner? Well, when he gets up there, Daredevil realizes that the family that he's at is the, uh, oh, what's the family name? Big old crime family name, and they also, you know, uh, shit, the, the Liberus family. And the Liberus family is explaining to, to old Maddie Murdoch that uh, Fisk has dissolved his criminal empire, and he's now, air quotes, going straight. And, yeah, uh, this is what's happening. And this family has survived so long, and there's no way that you're going to take it down, and there's these real awkward moments. And uh, the rest is, oof. It's, it, uh, Daredevil does make it out of there. But... Um, not after the whole family gets shot the fuck up. Yes, there are survivors, but the house gets shot up, and naturally that's going to bring the cops and who shows up. But good old detective motherfucking Cole. Awkward. So, yeah, no, that's uh, that's where that cliff hangs us. Uh, I know that was probably a little too brief of a Daredevil run rundown than you guys might have liked, but essentially that that is the gist of it. It's a visual book. Um... It's, it's, yeah, it's just a whole lot of, holy fuck, what the fuck moments, and you gotta love it, man, you gotta love it. Let's move on to Silver Surfer Black. Number two, Donny Cates, Tradmore, Dave Stewart. Stewart. Guys, this is fucking good. <laughs> oh, um, and in case you realize, or those of, that may have noticed how, how, how I sound... I'm sounding dumber as the podcast is going on. I'm drinking spiked lemonade, so that's what's going on there. A little Svetki in my lemonade, a little sip of vodka. So we know that uh, Silver Surfer is face-to-face with old Null, and he is not having a great time with it. Uh, he's, 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 he's devoured by this, this planet of symbiotes, I guess, and he has to fight Null, and when he goes to fight Null, he becomes devoured by the symbiote, and then for a moment we get, oh, man, what did I call him, uh, oh, shit, the Void Knight, and goddamn Tradmore and Dave Sturt, did you fucking kill it? On this god danked character design. That is so cool. But as quickly as you can enjoy it, he goes back. Because, you know, fucking... He gets some help. Uh, we, we've, as we're reading this, we, we get a new dialogue coming in from the distance. And we don't know exactly who it is. And we don't get that revealed to the very end. But it, the, this, this dialogue is... <laughs> This thing, this person, is, you know, is able to help uh, Silver Surfer escape this planet, essentially. Because he would have been fucked. And everyone would have been fucked if Silver Surfer became the Herald of Null. Oh, man. I don't know if this is... This could be a speculative issue. On account of a first appearance, maybe. But... Oh, shit. I just love how (laughs) Donny Cates is creating this whole universe for himself. And even if we're just using characters on, on books that uh, Kate's is writing, so Guardian, Silver Surfer, and Venom, I just give me, I would be cool with that whole alternate universe and just allow him to just work with those teams, those universes, 
And we've got some shit, man. We've got some shit because, you know, with Silver Surfer, we have the potential for the Fantastic Four. Imagine Donny Cates writing Fantastic Four. Uh, if he wasn't so busy being so great at everything else. I mean, really, he could be great at everything else. So, just the. It's kind of a, a moot point to just bring up, oh, Donny Cates would be so good at. Because it would, you could just fill in the blank and it would be a valid sentence. So, yeah. Um. Anyways, big reveal at the end. You ready for it? It was Ego, the living planet. So it was... <laughs> um, now, uh, I, I, originally you might be thinking, oh, womp. Who cares? But first off, the, the design? Mm, dope. Dope as uh, fucks. And uh, the actual idea of a symbiotic planet fighting a living planet? Uh, ego, the living planet? Dude. And what does that also do? Bring in potential for Guardians of the Galaxy, maybe, with some ego going on? Come on, guys. Just imagine the possibilities. <sighs> Donny Cates, man. I don't I don't like really worshipping. I mean, I, I, I like... I have no pro issue giving praise. But I don't like to metaphorically suck creators' dicks. Um, because, uh, yeah, it's just not my style. And with Donny Cates is one of those guys where I could try to praise him very little just to not come off that way. But I, I just can't help myself because the dude's just so good. <laughs> He's just so good. And there's there's more than one handful of artists out there, too, that follow it. It just turns out, guys, believe it or not, I really like comics. And I respect the fuck out of creators. So, have at thee. Um, let's, hey, let's talk more Marvel. Ah, you know what? <laughs> Superior Spider-Man. Uh, originally, I thought, as I was reading this book, I thought, no, I don't know. I hope not. This isn't what you're doing. First, let me give credit where credit's due. Superior Spider-Man number 9, Legacy number 42, Christos Gage, Mike Hartharn, um, Wade Von Gara, Grob Badger, and Jordi Belair, covered by Hawthorne, and Maury Hollowell. So, Otto's receiving the key to San Francisco from the mayor. He's not super stoked about it, but the city's celebrating him because in San Francisco during War of the Realms, there wasn't a single human casualty, or even pet for that matter, because he thought of everything. But the thing is, is that the rest of the world, there was still a few casualties, and essentially, this is old Otto beating himself up throughout the entire book about how he still didn't, he wasn't good enough to think about everything. And it really kind of plays a big part if, I mean, if you, I don't know, I, I took it as a big, uh, a big play on how one's ego can really affect, uh, uh, sanity. Because this guy's breaking down, he's snapping at a girl that is giving him a second chance, that dumped him before, she's come crawling back and... Yeah, his his um, his assistant uh, Anna, he's not super nice to her. I mean, he isn't. He's not always super nice to her, but he's even more of a fucking cunt to her than normal, and uh, it's noticeable. And I don't know how it happens, but it happens. And it being Spider-Man, Peter Parker shows up, and he talks. You know, he tries to give him this little pep talk, and. It works for a moment, and it doesn't, and then it turns out that the girlfriend, or the potential girlfriend, prospective girlfriend, makes her way back again, and uh, she he's able to open up, and he breaks down, and yeah, uh, it's kind of all coming together again, but they're... It, now, one might think, wow, Brian, that's not the type of book that you would, you know, you'd normally put that in your... Your honorable mention, pal. You don't like love stories. You're not into that type of emotion. No, I'm not a monster. I do dig emotion in my books, but um, that one eh, wasn't totally getting to me until it came down to a point of ego, and that one just that that that. I really like how they played into that one, but the the big reveal at the end is the comeback of Spiders, man. And six-armed Norman Osborn, Spider-Man. They've been spying, <laughs> and that's that's I mean, just the final splash page of them revealing that they're back, motherfuckers. Spider-Man was my favorite thing to come out of Spider-Geddon. Uh, that was incredible. I'm so excited. And Christos Gage created the character, 
and it's only suitable that he brings him back in my favorite Spider-Man title, and that being, obviously, Superior Spider-Man. Uh, so, yeah. Good on you, guys. Good on you. Let's move on to the m Twitters. My, my Twitter poll's most anticipated book of the week, at least via Marvel. Mortal Hulk number 21, Legacy 738. Al Ewing, guess art by Ryan Buckingham and Paul Mounts, covered by Alex Ross, of course. No, there are rumors due to some cover solicitations that this series will be ending at 25. Well, I don't know, man. I'd be sad to see it go, but at the same time, um, it would... Uh, what is it? A two-year run? So... Uh, it, it wouldn't be a terrible thing, uh, but let's let's get on to what this story is first before we start talking about future speculation and all that shit. There's rundowns. Um, a, a good portion of this throughout this book is the origin of General 14 and how he became the poison that he is now. Um, he's witnessed some shit, man. Uh, he's really upset that his his uh, mentor, General Ross. Was you know was turned out to be the Red Hulk, uh, sent him spiraling a little bit and yeah, so what he's going and doing here is he's got the Redeemer armor and he wants to go back and get the the skin of Abomination because we know that Rick Jones was ripped out of it by the Hulk and now Alpha Flight this new or Gamma Flight is what they're called now, um or at least that's what it was mentioned way back in like issue five or six or nine or something like that, um. They they have they're they're uh, experimenting on this abomination, and uh, fucking General Fourteen he's just going through and he's actually injecting fentanyl into everybody's heads, and that seems to be the key to be able to take out all of these gamma mutated uh, heavy hitters. So all of them, boom, down, down for the count, and. I think about it. Do we even get any Hulk in this book? I don't think so. <laughs> no, we don't. This is just General 14 fucking shit up, man. Uh, or maybe we do. I don't know. At least I don't have any mentions of Hulk in the book. Uh, we get flashbacks of 14 as a young man seeing the Hulk, but I don't think we're getting a mortal Hulk. There's no Red Harpy in this. Yeah, I don't know. This, but it just goes to show how interesting this book is. is you can have an immortal Hulk book without having a fucking Hulk in it. And here I am praising it. So, get on it, guys. Um, it's it's never too late. It may be expensive, but it's never too late. Uh, <laughs> this run is particularly outrageously expensive. Uh, so yeah. Um, let's let's move on to some Deadpool, huh? Deadpool number fifteen. Thought we were going 16, guys. I really thought we were going 16. They're lying to us. Deadpool number 15, Legacy 315. Scotty Young, Nick Klein, Scott Hebert, and Erin Herring. One of the greatest uh, creative combos in comics. Or shall I say was. Uh, rumors are their next project. They will all be working together again. There just ain't going to be no Deadpool. And we might not be seeing Deadpool for a minute. Even though there are plans for more Deadpool, as Scotty Young has revealed, he's just not revealing what they are, other than the words bonkers. So, and they're always bonkers because it's Deadpool. This is a bit of a deep issue, but it's still very lighthearted and Deadpooly and shit talky. It's perfect. Um, Deadpool's trying to relax after the War of the Realms, but Mephisto interrupts and he he drags him through the kiddie pool that he's soaking in, and he takes him to hell, and he reveals. Uh, uh, well, well, his old buddy Weasel that turned on him, uh, he's standing there with Mephisto, and he reveals, look, dude, uh, why don't you just, uh, work for me? You're gonna be my hitman now, and that's what's gonna happen. And Deadpool says, well, no. And Mephisto gives him his memories back. And, uh, now, what does that mean? Well... In issue number 300 of Deadpool, before Scotty Young took on, Deadpool erased his memories so that he could protect the ones he loved, that being his daughters, and uh, ladies, and all that other stuff. So, uh, when he sees that he remembers that he has a daughter, he's like, dude, that's fucked up, man. Um, so, what are you going to do, go kill her? And he shows this, this vision of 
good night, going up to his daughter and recruiting her as a young girl to become a air quotes hero. Now, uh, she's going to be molded to uh, kind of believe that a hero isn't necessarily what you or I may consider a hero. Hero is a bad motherfucker, uh, a hardcore vigilante of sorts. And maybe not even necessarily a vigilante, <laughs> because you're, you're working for sh the devil. You're working for Mephisto. So, yeah, you get the idea. Well, that's enough for Deadpool to say, well, okay, I'll come work for you. <laughs> you think that would be setting up this whole thing of Deadpool and Mephisto. No, no, he goes, he's right back on Earth moments later, and he says, well, I got out of it. I forget who he is he's talking to. Um, <laughs> but, uh, he, oh, but I will say that Deadpool's only terms and conditions for working for him is that he erases his memory again. So that wasn't a, a, a quick way for Scotty Young to be like, oh yeah, no, now he, rem he remembers everything. No, it, that's, it's right back to not remembering he has a daughter again. So that's, and you get a whole moment with all that because his daughter witnesses him <laughs> saying, yeah, I don't re want to remember her anymore. So, yeah, no, but back to the, the, the end of it all, um, Deadpool gets out of it because, frankly, he just annoys the fuck out of Mephisto and he says, never mind, I don't want this. <laughs> and deals off. So, yeah, fucking great job on Deadpool, guys. I, if you're listening, uh, I, I very, very much look forward to what you guys are all teaming up on next. It's been brilliant. It's been a perfect Deadpool story. Super self-aware, and I don't think I've ever seen a writer take so many jabs at himself. <laughs> He's uh, Scotty Young was constantly poking fun at himself. It's good stuff. Let's move on to my final overview of the week. Another series coming to an end, sadly. Uncanny X-Men number 22, Legacy 644, Matthew Rosenberg, uh, Salvador La Roca, David Messina, and Guru of Hex. Covered by Wills Protasia and Eric Arcianega. Lots going on in this book, guys. Embrace yourself. Well, this would be no surprise to anyone that's been reading any of Ro <laughs> Rosenberg's um, Uncanny X-Men, but a lot of motherfuckers die in this. But they die in beautiful ways. There's tons of sacrifices. Um, and... Uh, I kind of want to go through and explain this page by page, but at the same time, I really feel like this is a book worthy of redeeming any hatred you might have on an X-Men book. Granted, there's a, two sides to every coin, but uh, this this was a great, great X-Men story, even within itself. This is a book that you didn't necessarily have to have a whole lot of uh, um, back knowledge on. Just a, a, even as a self-contained story... It was just, it was hard-hitting. It was deep, man. Um, just because of the, the, the manner that all these guys sacrifice themselves. The way that Havoc sacrifices himself for Scott. The way that uh, uh, Warlocks, um, he's able to reprogram the Sentinels that are attacking. Yes, yeah, Sentinels. Alright, you know what? Fuck it. Let's do this. Um, uh, so, Dark Beast created the anti-vaccine vaccine. But Emma Frost deals it with it by erasing humanity's brains uh, to to know any difference between uh, mutant kind. So mutants could just go around being mutants like a motherfucker, and no one would ever know the difference. Uh, well, uh, the general that originally employed Emma before she she did a mutiny, um, he comes back with Cerebro, and he has Cerebro enhanced to be able to still allow the mutant or the the sentinels to still detect mutants so we get a sentinel attack and it's bad fucking news and that's what's going on that's that's where all the sacrificing is coming in just to kind of give a bit of perspective and then from there i'm going to leave it at that um other than the fact that <laughs> god damn it this moment was so fucking goddamn metal just as it looked like everyone is fucked, it is Cyclops and Wolverine standing there back to back, just really ready to just, this is it. End of the mutants. Well, all of them motherfucking mutants that are in this, you just see Storm, and you see this, oh, to me, my mutants, which is the equivalent of Chris Evans in Endgame going Avengers Assemble. 
I, I got the same feeling in this as I did from that fucking movie. That's how hardcore that the, this this book ended. And you could just imagine the emotion flying through the next five pages of just all the mutants reuniting. Scott and Jean. Uh, oh my god, guys. This, this is incredible. Incredible, incredible comicking. Matthew Rosenberg. Fuck the haters, dude. You killed it. Congratulations on an incredible X-Men run. As short-lived as it was. And you went into it and out of it like a champion, knowing that everything you were doing was really just going to be erased. You got the chance to just tell a fucking story. Oh, good job, man. Good on you. Let's go to my honorable mentions now. Uh, these are the books that didn't quite make the overview, but still very, very worthy of mentioning. Um, just because I know that there's an audience for it. Uh, highly recommended to me, but unfortunately, it was a swing and a miss on my end. We had Loki, number one. Um, yeah, no, it was it was exactly what I expected to be. I expected to just pick this one issue up and just to say, okay, I've got Loki, number one, because I'm a fucking goddamn completionist, and I kneel to Mar Marvel. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, this is just Loki being Loki, guys. He's... In a world where he's the king of the frost giants, and uh, this this very much springs out of the pages of his part in War of the Realms Omega, so definitely make sure you go through and pick up War of the Realms Omega first. You don't have to read all War of the Realms to get it. War of the Realms Omega is enough to understand what's going on in this book, but you're not going to understand what's going on in this book if you didn't read it, War of the Realms Omega. But uh, yeah, no, it wasn't bad by any means. It was just... Um, it, there's, it was picture 20 pages of Loki being Loki in a fun manner. It was fun for sure. Kibble Smith is he's a fun writer and yeah, dug it. Uh, Captain Marvel number 8. I picked this one up because of the, the hype around the first appearance of Star. So speculators, first appearance of Star if you could find this book. It's Captain Marvel number 8. <laughs> um, I just noticed that I also got a uh, one of them what, uh, uh, Splatter Carnage Symbiote Splatter uh, half and half comic variants or whatever. So, ah, that's fucking cool. So yeah, this does have a. Uh, um, I was gonna say maximum carnage. Jesus Christ, uh, absolute carnage. Uh, uh, page in the end, which is fun. Um, it's cats and rats and whatnot. This is a Captain Marvel book, man. This is Captain Marvel. Uh, just yeah, I I don't know how to explain. It. I mean, uh, here's the deal. Um, listeners in the past know, know that this is one of my least favorite characters ever in Marvel history. I've never just... It's not that I hate this character. It's, I've never been intrigued with Captain Marvel. I got my Captain Marvel out of Civil War 2, and frankly, they kind of turned her into a cunt in that fucking... Uh, in that book, so... Yeah, it, it really soured me on her. But... Yeah, no, Kelly Thompson does a great job with her characters, and she definitely has her massive following. Uh, Captain Marvel's doing very, very well, from my understandings. It's, I know that it's, yeah, you're going to be hearing me talk about it more often. Um, I know that it, from issue 9 on, Mark Brooks has taken over the covers, so probably going to make wall books from, here, from time to time. Just still not an interesting enough storyline for me to snag on to. I'm glad I picked up issue number 8 uh, for speculative reasons. Uh, this star character looks like she is going to be dope. Like I said, it wasn't bad by any means. It's just not a character I'm completely interested in. Uh, Spider-Man City at War from the Gamerverse. This is that PlayStation Spider-Man book uh, from Dennis Hallam. Uh, yeah, I, I'm like I said, <laughs> I put it on my pull list, and after I got the one, I was like, oh, okay, I'll get the two. Even though I had never had any intention to read it, because, like I said, I don't play the game. But, um, if you guys can convince me that I don't need to know the game to, to appreciate the book, then maybe I'll cover it in the future. Uh, from DC Vertigo, Lucifer number 10, Dan Waters. Uh, yeah, I'm fucking... Lucifer is dope. Digging the shit out of Lucifer. It's just a dense book, and it's sometimes, most of the time, I find it hard to explain. Um, and uh, to be f frank, 
I think I'm four issues behind on Lucifer. I, I have them all. I, I, they're, they're ready to be read. I just need to find some time. Sponsors, hit me up. Give me a day off. <laughs> I can read some books and put out more content. It's win-win. Uh, Nightwing, number 62. Nightwings be Nightwings, yo. And the owl is a lurkin'. That's what's going on in this book. Uh, it's not... It was worth a read. Uh, I know that there's a lot of hate on this new Nightwing ever since he got ricked. <laughs> or de-dicked. <laughs> but, um... You know, I, I actually do enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, I like the Team Nightwing. Uh, I like how they're all start. I'm starting to grow close to these characters in their own ways. I like the distrust between all of them. And I really like the fact that we've got the Quarter Owls going after these motherfuckers. So, good shit, man. American Guides, Moment of the Storm from Dark Horse, number four. Neil Gaiman. Uh, yeah, like I say, every time this book comes up, uh, when I catch up on season two of the series, I will catch up reading this book. Last but not least in the autumnal mentions from old Dynamite, we got Vampirella for the eighth volume. Number one, uh, I, I, I've got the fucking cover E is what that is, and it's a fucking sweet cover, man. Uh, I, I read it, and this is my first time reading a Vampirella book. There's not a lot to get out of this on account of how little story is in this tiny little book. There's not a lot of dialogue. It's... Yeah. But, uh, I could definitely... I mean, um, there's definitely an entertainment value there for sure. It's just not enough for me to talk about is all. So that's all I've got for my honorable mentions. Usually the smaller the segment that is, the better. On account of, I like to talk about books as much as possible. I don't like to throw books in that pile just to get away from having to talk about them. I really like it when books are worth talking about. But let's move on to the visual stuff, the wall books, the frameable stuff. Um, there, there was a pile on account of its Carnage Eyes season. But first we got a DC book. I picked up Teen Titans, yo. Teen Titans number 32, the Lobo, You're the Villain, cardstock variant. It's it's awesome, guys. It's Lobo. It's dope. Uh, who's the artist on that? Uh, Alex Garner. So, yeah, a wall book faux show. Uh, and that's that's it's all carnageized from here, guys. So brace yourselves. Daredevil number eight. Lionel Francis. You and Sonny Go. That Daredevil <laughs> carnageized cover. Holy shit, man! It is. It is not a miss. It is not a miss at all. It will hang on the wall so fucking proudly. Loki got a carnageized cover. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, the Asgardian car. Oh, man. It's so good, dude. This is a good one. The, the, the more I look at it, it's probably the most time I've spent looking at it, actually, while I'm talking to you guys. Oh, dude. He could almost pass off as a red knoll. Loki just has that stature. Uh, Raphael Albuquerque will slinny. Mark Morales and Frank D'Amata all up on this bitch and just killing it, man. What a fucking cover. Captain Marvel number eight. <sighs> you know, when the Carnage's covers came out, my fir the first thing that came to mind... Well, no, I had two questions. The first one was, who's Francesco Mattina gonna um, get paired up with? And who's Enyaq Lee gonna get paired up with? Well, when I saw it was Captain Marvel, I was kind of bummed. Because, like I just stated, <laughs> um, ah, not my favorite. But um, this cover right here, holy fuck, dude. Because her one of her, uh, um, when she does her little glowy fist thing, she manifests this, this black symbiote around her. Uh, it's, it's, it's Lee and Yuck, guys. It's, it's always good when it's Lee and Yuck. So fucking good. Uncanny X-Men. They got a... Oh, man. Emma Frost on there, Carnageized, just sitting on this throne. Just all fucking Emma Frost and sexy. Jay Anacleto and Rain Burrito. Killed it. Absolutely killed it. It's... Ugh, fuck, guys. And 
Deadpool, Carnageized. Scotty Young got it. We got a Spider-Man standing there. Thumbs up and all. Carnageized. Deadpool. And that is how you end a god dang series. With your own variant cover and Carnageized season. Oh, guys, the, all of the Carnageized covers. There was nothing to gripe about. They were all amazing. All of the wall books were so good, man. So impressive. Um, from here, it's only suitable that I talk about my top picks now. My favorite stuff of the week. We're going to work backwards now. We're going to work backwards from wall books. And um, the, this was back and forth for me. It wasn't an easy choice, but it was definitely between a couple of Carnageized covers. Uh, and it came down to Captain Marvel and Uncanny X-Men. And granted, the Captain Marvel cover is absolutely perfect. It is perfect in every single way imaginable uh, because it's done one by one of my favorite cover artists of all time. But on the other hand, there's something about the pose and the the way that the carnage face is coming over Emma Frost and how you could see all of Emma Frost's face but still get a very good perspective of Carnage's face coming in there. And I like how the symbiote is uh, um, its kind of spreading out her gown. It, oh, fuck. It is, it's incredible. This is the, my cover of the week, for sure. Hangs on the wall for a while, I bet. Uh, interiors of the week... <laughs> this this was not, not an easy decision, but it came down to Sonata. Um, that was it, it. It all it really should have won it the first week, but I I, I forgot who who Sonata lost to. But um, I, and I don't want to say lose. I don't want to put it like that. But um, yeah, just completely outshined everything this week. There were there was some great interiors. There really were. Um, like I said, we all love Nick Klein. We all love Immortal Hulk. Even though it wasn't even Joe Bennett, it was still amazing. Uh, fucking Silver Surfer, off the chain. You get the point. Batman, totally worth an interior talk about. But Sonata, I think will forever, just anytime that book's out there, will have a very high bar when it comes to uh, interiors of the week, in my perspective. My overall book of the week my top pick, <laughs> Uncanny X-Men, man. Uh, Come to Me, My Mutants by Storm and all of the, the mutants opening up. That is seriously, that <laughs> is still reminiscent of Endgame. And I, I actually found it to be more emotional. I, I, I thought it was so fucking good. Uh, Batman was a runner-up, but... And I, I very, very much loved that book. It was amazing. But Uncanny just stood out. It really did. Uh, there, there's, there, there's a metaphor in the beginning with Scott sitting in the park. And he talks about the difference between city squirrels and wild squirrels. And how the city squirrels, they've evolved to not have to have... They have a lower body fat because they don't have to store as much. Because there's so much more of an abundance of food. Because there's so much trash to eat. And they even have shorter teeth. Because they don't have to... You know, bite through nuts and shit as much like I could just eat through fucking Taco Bell. Well, he relates that to how there's so many mutants out there whose mutant abilities are, you know, good things. And his only mutant ability is just purely destructive with his laser beam eyes. So he relates that to the evolution of mutants. And he has this moment of confusion. And, oh, fuck. Is that, and that's how, I mean, that's how the book starts. And it just gets harder and harder from then on out as you're watching all of these it's not just D-list mutants dying now, man. It's, oh, fucking hardcore, dude. Matthew Rosenberg, if you're listening, dude, come on to this podcast, man. I want to pick your fucking brain. That is incredible, incredible work. Normally, well, not normally, every once in a while, sometimes, a portion of the time that would wrap up this show, but I'm happy to say i got a bit more of a segment here, and I find it much more easier to squeeze in on account of there's no news on this portion of this week's episode so we've got a creator submission to talk about and this is one that I've had in the barrel for 
way too long. It's just time hasn't permitted in the manner that I want to. Uh, so this story is called 3AM, and you can find it at 3AMcomic.com. Completely free! And, yeah, uh, what originally drew me to this... I, I, w I was in a Facebook feed, and uh, the writer of The Wolf and Me that I covered way back, Sean Mullen, he was uh, praising over this artist, so naturally... I went and took a look, and I hit her up. She actually didn't submit. I hit her up, and I said, hey, would you want to be featured? Because I see that, you know, you say that you're looking for some exposure, and I agree, this book needs some exposure. Can I help you? And she said, absolutely. And the, without reading a word, um, uh, I was immediately just drawn to the vibrant colors and the very unique art style that is all her own. Um, and before I get into, uh, who's her? Delilah Buckle is the creator. She does a story and the art. So, bam. Uh, let me describe this art style just a little bit. It, it is almost like a pencil sketch style. It is, but it's organized chaos. Uh, there, there's no ink work going on in here. And it, but, like I said, it's, it's still, <clears throat> it's really fucking good. But the, the, the color is what gets you. And she tells the story with the, 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 the bright colors. It's bright throughout, but she knows how to manipulate all the bright colors to still create a different tone. Like, she, uh, okay, this, this, for instance, one panel will be uh, very, very pink, and you'll have just a little bit of blue and green in there. And the next panel will be the opposite, but you'll, and you'll um, re immediately realize that, oh, shit, the, the tone has just changed. So, yeah, no, this is, this is definitely a book that is... Uh, more visual than anything. Um, getting into the story itself, um, uh, if it is, it, um, how do I say this? And by no means do I, I, I don't want to give a negative critique at all. Uh, it takes a minute to realize what's going on because the, the, um, the dialogue is, is, uh, it's mostly the, the onomatopoeias and the sound effects that you want to pay attention to that's really telling the story. It could almost be done silently. But it's this girl going into this uh, store late at night, seemingly, and she she's looking for a saw blade. And she's having a hell of a time getting it. Uh, the, the store clerk, he's he's a fucking asshole. But, and he's super mean to the other store uh, guy that's there at night. And she And it's really just a case of sympathy for him. And she starts to maybe even feel a little bit of a tingle for him. And where the story takes a major turn is when we realize who this big uh, lug of a character is that we're st we really feel a lot of sympathy for. And I'm not going to give away any of that because I want you to go read this book yourself. Um, be prepared to be spending a lot of time looking at <laughs> the art. Because it, it, it is, like I said, she's a very unique style. Very intriguing. It is... Uh, I, I, when I say there's no line work whatsoever, that's not necessarily true. But it is... Uh, oh, man. It's, if I were to give a, a comparison out there, I would say it's very reminiscent to Mitch Jarrett's. So, yeah. It's like that, guys. It's that fucking good. But still, very unique in her own. Um, yeah, I, uh, 3AM is the comic, 3AMcomic.com, it's easy to remember, guys, go get you some, Delilah Buckle, thank you so much for allowing me to talk about your comic on my podcast, I look forward to talking to you soon on a creator corner, because we talked about that, and you're down, and now that I talked about your comic, I would very much like to talk to you. And I look forward to your future endeavors. So, with all of that being said, we talked about some comics this week, guys. There was some good stuff. No hate. No hate. All great. Um, some better than others, though. Uh, you know, there's, there's more comics coming. Go to your local comic book store. Support your brick and mortars. Guys, those nerds love seeing you. I really do. Uh, yeah, you guys, you guys obviously know where to listen. And uh, yeah, thank you for joining me. Y'all nerds, read responsibly. Cheers.
All right, for all you podcast nerds out there, I'd like to remind you real quick and fast that you can get paid to actually listen to podcasts. Yeah, you heard me right. Go to uh, your Google Play Store, your Android Store, wherever you get your apps, and download an app called PodCoin. And you can actually earn money, real money, gift cards, all that good stuff, Starbucks, Target, all that good stuff. As you listen to podcasts, and all you have to do is listen. You don't have to do anything special, but I can get you started right off the bat by entering promo code COMICS after you download the app, and uh, we'll just hook you up with 300 coins right off the bat. Start earning immediately. And it's not just Cheers to Comics on there. All your other favorite podcasts are on there as well. So as soon as you're done listening to the latest episode of this podcast, go over and listen to all your other favorites and continue to earn. So... Use promo code COMICS, download the app, and yeah, get yourself some money. You could also donate to charity as well, so whether it's for kids or animals or whatever, you can do all that good stuff. So feel good about yourself listening to a podcast.